Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, getting you through your long Labor Day weekend here. It is football season. Uh, I was watching college football last night. We've got the NFL. We're less than a week away from the NFL season opener. So uh, it is it is coming up. And then, of course, the Browns open up against Cincinnati. So I was thinking for a topic today. We have spent all summer watching this football team. Mary Kay, you've seen every single practice that this team has had. Ashley, you and I have seen almost every practice, save for a few at the Greenbrier. Um, so what better time to kind of reset where we are with certain things? So I thought there were three topics that we'd each throw something out for. The one thing after all of this stuff that we are most certain about with this football team, the thing we're least certain about, and the thing we're just kind of most curious about. So that that one's pretty wide open, like it could be whatever. So... Let's just start here, Mary Kay. What is the thing that you are absolutely most certain about with this Cleveland Browns football team this season? You know, there are a few ways I could have gone here, and I think we all sort of probably feel that way. Uh, But the thing I'm going to pick is I feel most certain about Miles Garrett really flourishing in Jim Schwartz's defense. Jim Schwartz is gearing his whole defense uh, to make sure that Miles Garrett can be the dominant defensive end that he is and maybe, maybe even help him reach that elusive NFL Defensive Player of the Year award. So each of the last two seasons, Miles Garrett has led the team with 16 sacks. That's a club record. And uh, this year, I think he's capable of more because not only does he have Jim Schwartz scheming it up to get there, but now he's got plenty of talent around him. He will have Zadarius Smith at times on the opposite side, drawing some extra attention. He'll have some very stout defensive tackles in the middle uh, that will also draw some extra attention and get some pressure up the middle uh, and and maybe, you know, force things outside a little bit. So I I do think that uh, it's all setting up for Miles Garrett to have that sort of dominant type of season that we've all talked about him having not just dominant in the first six games of the season and then tailor, you know, tapering off at the end, but uh, 17 games of scary miles. And I don't know. I feel that's what I am most certain about certain about heading into the season. This was on my list. If Mary Kay wouldn't have taken it or if I had gone first, this might've been the the thing that I threw out there. I, 
I think this could be a, a really special season for Miles Garrett. Uh, you know, Ashley, um, Mary, Mary Kay laid out a bunch of reasons why I don't necessarily need need to repeat those. But um, something I heard listening to um, a football podcast that kind of surprised me a little bit, but then I, I double checked it um, from 2020 through last season. Miles Garrett has the most sacks in the NFL. He has 44 sacks. Uh, TJ Watt has 43. Now there is a, there is a little note here. TJ Watt has done it in 40 games. Miles has done it in 47. So, um, you know, TJ would be ahead of him had he been healthy, but that's part of, that's part of the game. Um, Hassan Reddick up there at 39 and a half, but Garrett and Watt, the only two with 40 or more sacks um, from 2020 to 2022. So the production has certainly been there. And I think we've all been waiting for like, when is this miles Garrett breakout going to happen? And when is he going to take that next step, which is a scary thought because he's been so good. And it just feels like they hired a defensive coordinator designed to make Miles Garrett better. Yeah, I mean, everything that you know stands out in this Jim Schwartz scheme, so much of it is reliant on what happens up front. And I think a guy like Miles Garrett can only benefit from playing in this kind of system where the focus really is on creating mismatches and creating favorable one-on-one matchups for your edge rushers um, and just see quarterback get quarterback. And I think like, it sounds funny when, you know, we talk about breakout players on the defense, like miles is always a name we want to throw out there. And I think like, it sounds kind of silly to say that, like you said, Dan, because of how good he's been. But I really think if, this Jim Schwartz defense works as well as, you know, they seem to hope that it will, then it will allow him to kind of take that next step. And, you know, as I was starting to work on um, like preview stuff and looking at the defense and looking at Miles Garrett in particular, like when you talk about like what's at stake for Miles, like at this point in his career, like for me, it really is like checking off some of those bigger accolades, like Mary Kay said, like the defensive player of the year award, for example, um, and helping the Browns make a Super Bowl run, like because you're you're to the point in his career entering year seven now um, that I think it's time to start thinking about those like bigger picture legacy kind of questions with him and and how his career is ultimately going to look like. So um, we can do some honorable mentions too, because as we're sitting here kind of thinking about this, I have some more popping in my head. But Ashley, what did you have for the thing you're most certain about on this football team? The thing I'm most certain about, and I'm going to go to the other side of the ball, is that Nick Chubb is still Nick Chubb and still one of the best running backs in the league. I think that is the safest bet with this offense in terms of who is going to contribute and how. I think we're going to see some new elements to Nick's game maybe this year. And, and I think we've talked about this before, like maybe a little wary about not them not using him too much and and how they're going to manage that because we know like they want to get him more involved in the pass game like how how many downs is he going to play like all of these things I think are questions because like we we talk about the third down back situation a lot but I think when you watch Nick Chubb like I think I wrote this after those Philly joint practices after the first one I'm like there's not much to say, like, because Nick Chubb's just out there and he's Nick Chubb. Like, he's an elusive runner. He's a powerful runner. He's dragging guys around, but he's also making them miss tackles. Um, and I think, like, it's almost easy to, like, take for granted has a negative connotation, but it's like Nick truly just goes out there. He's quiet. He does the same thing every day, and he's always looks good. I think he's the most constant on this offensive side of the ball for them right now. You guys are killing me. Absolutely <laughs> killing me. The advantage I have when I come up with these topics is, is I get like a little more lead time to think about them. 
But then I let you guys go first and you just take all my answers. Nick Chubb is going to be one of mine too. That just Nick Chubb's going to have a huge year. I'm just thinking about this offense. Like it's sort of weird. He may actually end up with, like, I don't know if he's going to get significantly more touches, but I just think when you think about Nick Chubb in the second level, he's unstoppable. And so now you're going to spread defenses out and you're going to not allow them to stack the box against Nick Chubb. He's going to get to the second level so much easier. I mean, Mary Kay, this is a guy that averages five yards a carry as is. Could he average five and a half, six yards a carry this season? I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. I'm I'm absolutely convinced Nick Chubb is going to have another huge season. Oh, absolutely. I think so, too. There's no question about it. It's all setting up for that. And, you know, we know that Kevin Stefanski really likes to use, uh, you know, his running back a lot, even though we hear so much more about, uh, you know, the offense running through Deshaun this year, which we know it will. And we hear so much about Nick, as Ashley mentioned, getting the, the ball more out of the backfield as a receiver. He's still going to get his yards. And yes, he is going to be able to potentially average 5.5 yards per carry. Uh, the, and, and he is one of a couple of absolute sure things on this team. So you're right, Dan. We stole the sure thing on defense. We stole the sure thing on offense from you. But there are a few more. And we'll snake it. So maybe you could go first on one of our other topics. But um, if, you know, if you're good, we'll let you do that. But um but anyway, so yeah, Nick is absolutely, uh, you know, just a sure bet, and especially in this offense. And I have seen no signs whatsoever of him slowing down. No signs of that. And I think that's in part because they've done a really nice job of managing him over the years. And they've taken some tread off of those tires by using Kareem Hunt. And um, so we'll have to see how that goes this year. But I think he's going to be a tremendous force, a tremendous uh, benefit to for Deshaun Watson to have him out there. And you just can't go wrong with Nick Chubb. Yeah. So, the, I mean, there's other factors to this, too. Like, right. I mean, you mentioned Kareem Hunt. He's not here anymore. I don't know if Jerome Ford can be the number two back. I think he'll probably be fine. And I mean, this is sort of a scheme where you can put pretty much anybody back there and they'll be OK. But he's not going to be Kareem Hunt. So there's more opportunities. The other thing I was thinking, too, while we were talking about this is. We think this team is going to be good. How good? Maybe is up for debate, but we think this is going to be a good team that's going to have some fourth quarter leads. So, Ashley, when you have a fourth quarter lead, who do you think is touching the football a bunch? And when you're trying to run things out, that's it's going to be Nick Chubb just piling up yardage. Yeah, I mean, I think, too, when you look at, like, last year, for example, right, when the fans would get frustrated by, like, not thinking Nick was getting enough carries, and it's like, well... You have to look at those games and how many of those games they were losing. They're not going to run the ball when you're down. I think like Wyatt Teller and Joel Batonio talked about that a lot, that like it just kind of becomes you're, you're at the mercy of what the score is. But yeah, I mean, I think if the rest of the offense is working, like not only is it going to help Nick from a stats standpoint, but um, that's going to snowball into leads and then wanting to run out the clock as they get later into some of these games. And, and that offensive line, too, Mary Kay, is just built to wear teams out. I think we, we've forgotten about that a little bit over the last two seasons. But when you look back at that 2020 season, when you got Joel and Wyatt, and now it's Ethan Posich and Jack Conklin and hopefully Jed Wills, that offensive line is just built to lean on people. And you get to the fourth quarter, you know, it's I, I hate to, to use this team as an example because they're probably one of my favorite teams in the league right now, but 
it's a little Eagles-esque. That line is built to just lean on you for three quarters and then just dominate you in the fourth quarter if, if they have a lead to protect. Yeah, definitely so true. And it's another reason why uh, Nick Chubb is so fortunate to have a line like this to run behind. Uh, you know, they make it as easy on him as possible to use his talent and maximize his skill set. And it's also the reason why you were able to see guys like Dearness Johnson go in there and get 100-yard games fairly easily. Uh, it's not that everybody's Nick Chubb because he is, uh, you know, he stands out above everyone else. But you can plug someone in uh, as a running back behind this offensive line and be reasonably sure that if you need them to get 100 yards or you need them to get that tough couple of yards, that they're going to be able to do it as long as, like Nick says, you've got to hit those holes very, very quickly. You have to be able to do that. But if you can do that and you're that decisive, uh, then you're going to make your hay back there behind this tremendous offensive line. Okay, I have two ways to go here. Um, but one, I feel like this. I feel like there's a name we're going to talk about maybe in some other categories, so I'm going to save it. Um, and if we don't, we'll come back to it with our honorable mentions. But I'm going to go back to the defensive side of the ball, and I'm just going to go a little more global than just Miles Garrett. I am absolutely certain this defense is going to be leaps and bounds better than it was a year ago, especially early in the year. I think um, the person I probably trust most right now with this is Jim Schwartz. Like I think Jim Schwartz is going to come in and run a really good defense. I don't know where it's going to end up ranking. I don't know if it's going to be top five, top 10. I, I think it's just going to be a really good defense. I'm very confident in the line they built. I'm still confident in the secondary. We'll see about the linebackers, but we've said it here on this pod over and over again, that that position just doesn't matter as much in Jim Schwartz's defense. So I'm just really confident. I am certain that this defense and the bar is low based on how it started last year, but Mary Kay, I am confident that this defense and certain this defense is just going to be better than, than it has been. Yes, I, I can absolutely agree with you on that. And one of the things that I think about when I think about Jim Schwartz is I think he's got something to prove. He's coming back home full circle to the Cleveland Browns where his career began under Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, who was then the defensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns. Those are his two biggest mentors. I think it's very meaningful for him to be back here in Cleveland. I think he cares a lot about this football team and this community. And I think he wants to be wildly successful here. So I know he's pouring his heart and soul into it. And he also has so much experience running a good high quality defense that we just don't have to wonder how he's going to be at this job. We know what he's like as a defensive coordinator. Uh, there are some new coordinators in the NFL this year where, you know, there is a little bit of uncertainty here and there. But not so with Jim Schwartz. You know what you're going to get from him. You know that the big men up front, the dogs are going to eat. You know that the defensive ends are, are going to get their sacks. And the defensive tackles are going to get their sacks as well. Uh, you know that the, in the back end, they're going to love their jobs because they're going to be playing plenty of man-to-man -man defense. Uh, you know They're going to have an opportunity to shine and get their takeaways uh, so there should be a lot of big plays on this defense. There should be sacks. There should be interceptions. There should be forced fumbles. Um, and, and I think he'll keep it, you know, basic and simple enough, uh, all of the job descriptions that, that they can play fast and not have to think too much. So 
I, I do think it's going to be a lot better than what it was last year. And guys like Z Smith, uh, are, are going to be right back where, you know, like where he was at the beginning of last year when he was just racking up the sacks and, um, at the inside guys are going to have a grand old time getting that push up the middle and doing all the things that they do well. So, uh, defensive players are generally pretty happy playing for Jim Schwartz. And Ashley, I think they're going to be a little meaner. I just think there's going to be an, an attitude, right? Like kind of a little bit of that Philly. I'm referencing Philly a lot today. <laughs> a little bit of that Philly attitude. Um, you know, because look, we, we went to those Philly practices. They showed up on that first day and they they were right there. I mean, they competed yeah. with that team. So I, I think that said something. And I, I think this defense is going to have a little bit of an edge, a little bit of a swagger to it. And I think that all comes from Jim Schwartz. Yeah, I was going to bring up those Philly practices because I think it kind of just proves your point about how different they look compared to last year. Because when Philly came to Cleveland for those joint practices last year, that defense like got ran over. It felt like every time you looked, the Philly pass catchers were having a field day. Like Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, A.J. Brown, they like did whatever they wanted. And I think that was the first sign for us of like, oh, they're, this might not be as good as they think it is and as good as we've been hearing to start the year. Um, and then, of course, they come out. There's a bunch of communication issues um, right out of the gate. So I think this year it did just feel like they competed with those guys more. I felt like in the secondary, a big part of that was kind of watching Martin Emerson like continue to take another step in his development in year two because he is such a physical guy um and then I think again like to talk about the defensive line when I was doing the defensive portion of our our preview stuff and I'm looking at okay who are all the guys who left and who's all the guys we have now it's like they totally remade that defensive tackle room the only one left from last year is Jordan Elliott on the 53 and we like we don't know if he's going to start for sure, now that they brought in Shelby Harris, um, now that they actually you know, spent money on one single guy and Dalvin Tomlinson, I think that makes a huge difference in just the perception because that was such a weak unit last year. It was one of the worst in the league. Um, so I really think beefing that up and then some of those secondary guys kind of coming into their own, getting a Juan Thornhill in here with a new energy, that's also big. I think there's no denying they look better than they did this time last year, I think. Okay, quick break, then we're going to come back. We're going to talk the opposite here, the things we are least certain about. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kate Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Before we get to the things we're least certain about, I've got to tell you about Football Insider, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Uh, to get info on that, you get texting, a newsletter, and access to the stories that are for subscribers only on cleveland.com. Uh, find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com there, and also find us on Instagram, just search Orange and Brown Talk. Lots of reels, uh, lots of story stuff going up there as we continue into the season. Okay, Mary Kay, the thing you are least certain about this season. Are you sure you want to give me I, first crack at this? <laughs> I will let you go first again. That's fine. I'm, I'm good at it's making funny. things up. Even even if we snake draft, it does nothing for me. So I literally have no dog in this fight. I'm going yeah. to be second either way at this point. So you guys I, can figure this like out amongst yourselves. I like the challenge of having to okay. figure out, okay, my things got stolen. Now I got to go a different way. It makes me better when we do our drafts. Playing the long game. Okay. How about, Ashley, are you co- cool with me going first? 
Are you sure? Okay. I was going to let you have it. Um, all right. Well, the thing that I am most uncertain about is, drum roll please, backup running back. I'm sure you guys have thought about this one as well. Um, and I've been writing for a while that the only sure, sure thing that they have at running back heading into the season is Nick Chubb. We know that Kareem Hunt is gone. And then Jerome Ford was supposed to step up into that sort of third down back Kareem Hunt role, but he suffered a hamstring injury on August 7th and he missed most of practice. I think that's significant because in my experience over the years, when you miss a bunch of training camp, especially for a younger player learning a new role, it's very, very difficult to develop that muscle memory and to get yourself back up to speed to where you need to be to perform at the level that you want to and need to during the season. Um, but everybody's saying all the right things. They think he's ready to go. The thing is, it's a projection. Nobody knows for sure. Uh, if they put him on the field and on third down on Monday night football in Pittsburgh and he has to pick up TJ Watt and block him. I mean, no, like, nobody knows if he can do that or help block him. You know what I mean? Like nobody knows uh, what he's going to be able to do. Or you you throw him the screen pass with, uh, you know, a defender bearing down on him. And is, is he going to have the wherewithal uh, to make that catch and hang on? Um, so these are all things that are sort of uncertain in my mind heading into the season. And then uh, you know, instead of sticking with a Demetric Felton who just signed to the Bengals practice squad or someone else, they traded for Pierre Strong Jr., uh, who is their third running back right now. And he has been on the scene for just a couple of days. So they don't know yet what his whole role is going to be and how that's all going to work out. So I think that's just one of the biggest question marks in my mind heading into the season is how the backup running back positions uh, are going to play out and how that impacts Nick Chubb. And I'll be honest. Um, I appreciate the honesty from Jerome when he's talked to us, but there is a part of me, like he's talked very openly about learning to be a pro and learning to be a teammate and, you know, not wanting to be late to meetings to avoid fines, even though he did say that he hasn't been fined. It hasn't happened. It's just the threat of it that has him worried. It still seems like he's kind of learning the ropes a little bit in the NFL. And now he is going to be thrust into a situation, like you said, Mary Kay, you know, that Bengals pass rush isn't anything to, to laugh at. And of course, with that Steelers pass rush, like you said, is absolutely fierce, especially on Monday night when they're playing that renegade song and that stupid horn is blowing and all that. Like, this is a big ask for Jerome Ford, Ashley, especially kind of hearing him talk about like, well, I'm also still in some ways learning how to be an NFL player. Yeah, I mean, and it's just like an experience thing, right? Like he didn't have to play a ton of offensive snaps last year because they did still have Kareem Hunt um, and he was clearly the number two back. And I think also with Jerome, the thing maybe I'm mildly concerned about is the fact like he's one of their only options at returner and like he is still you know he dealt with the hamstring injury and I think those things can kind of hang around or be nagging like worst case scenario and it's like okay how much are they going to use him here versus how many carries is he going to get I think it helps that you know you're going to have more designed runs for Deshaun Watson so I think those are especially my concerns with Jerome on top of just the unknown and then with Pierre Strong, like besides being new, the thing about this that's interesting to me is because it seemed like with Dimitrik, they were, you know, just 
where he struggled was with picking up those blitzes. And Mary Kay, I think you said you were reading some things Bill Belichick said about Pierre Strong, and it sounds like he has struggled with the same thing, and he's really fast. But it's kind of like, okay, is that, as, as Mary Kay, as you say, six of one and half a dozen of the other in terms of skill set? I don't know, maybe. Um, so those are, I definitely think this is a good one. This is one of the two I had in my mind. So I will now go with the other one I had when it's my turn. Ooh, exciting. And by the way, let's, I mean, Jerome Ford has gotten hurt a couple of times. He missed time last year with an injury and now he had the hamstring injury here in camp. So, um, you know, we, we have to see about that durability too. When you mentioned that dual role, Ashley, this guy's got to return kicks or might potentially end up being the kick returner and also be the number two back. That's a lot more than he had to do last season. So Ashley, let's hear it. What's, what have you got? Number two on your list. What is, is this concern? Is this that is how we're least... phrasing this thing in? Least There's a few either. So Mary Kay said it different. How did you say it, Mary? You said the thing you are, I don't know. The way I, the way I worded it was least certain. I think you said okay. most yeah. uncertain. So something oh, like that. That is definitely six of one and half a dozen of yeah. the other. The thing you're least okay. certain about. Yeah. The thing that I'm least certain about, I think this is something I've brought up before, but I am least certain, honestly, and this is going to maybe sound weird to say at first, but I worry about this wide receiver room being like one or two injuries away from looking vastly different. Um, And I worry about what it might look like if something happens to Elijah Moore. I think Amari Cooper has been pretty durable throughout his career, obviously, right? I mean, we saw that firsthand last year, the way he plays through that core muscle injury. But We've already seen Elijah Moore have to miss time with that rib injury. And maybe that was, you know, maybe if it was the regular season, he would have come back sooner. And this was just the preseason and they were being very cautious. But if they are going to put him in the backfield a lot, if they are going to run some of that playground type stuff, I think they are putting him in a position to take some harder hits. And with that comes, I think, more of an injury risk. And Elijah Moore is not a big guy. So I kind of worry, even though, you know, I think we like a lot of the names in there and I think they're very lucky to get Marquise Goodwin back. um, I do kind of worry, and this is something it feels like we've talked about for a while, about the makeup of that room if injuries happen to like one or two of the wrong guys. I think this is a good one and it was on my list. And I think one of the things about this receiver room that stands out to me is here. I'll use an edge rusher as an example. So I like, I really like Obo Okoronkwo in his role, right? As your third edge rusher, the guy behind Miles and Zadarius, and he'll get plenty of opportunities. I'm not as convinced about Obo Okoronkwo if suddenly he's your number two edge rusher. Like if that would have been the plan for 17 games and they hadn't added Zadarius, I'd have, I'd have some more questions there. So when you mention a name like Marquise Goodwin, Ashley, I love Marquise Goodwin in the role it looks like he's going to play. But if injuries happen and all of a sudden Marquise is like your starting number two, or even Cedric Tillman, like if you have to throw Cedric Tillman out there to play a ton of snaps early on, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it's fine. Maybe it's not. But I think Mary Kay, that's, I, I share the same concern. If the wrong guy gets hurt at the wrong time. You could you could end up with somebody in that receiver room in a role that they're just not ready for or that they, that they just can't handle, and it does change this offense. I think uh, Ashley described it best when, when she named Elijah Moore as the one receiver that they can least afford to lose to injury because I think they have pretty good depth 
and a, a pretty good cross section of other kinds of receivers in that room. For instance, if you lose a said Tillman, you can jump over to the practice squad and call up Austin Watkins, and he can do some of the same kind of things. Same body type, same style. Uh, if you lose an Amari Cooper, you know, you still have some other people that can do some of the things that Amari can, not at the level that he can do it. And you certainly don't want to lose him, uh, but they can get the job done if they had to go a few weeks without Amari Cooper. But I feel like they have put so many eggs in their Elijah Moore basket that if they do lose him for any length of time, I do absolutely think it will be hard to recreate some of that. Not saying that they can't because they might have to just think outside the box a little bit more and get a little bit more creative. Like, for instance, Jalen Darden, smaller guy, return ability, brings a ton of speed. He's He was injured throughout most of camp. He's on the practice squad right now. But, you know, maybe he can play some of the roles that Elijah plays as sort of a speedy, shiftier receiver coming out of the slot. Um, as far as someone, kept, you know, running, you know, Debo Samuel style out of the backfield like Elijah has been doing, I'm sure someone else can play that role for them. I'm not exactly sure right at the moment, you know, who that might be. But, you know, there's probably someone else that might be able to do it, but not at the level that they have Elijah Moore doing it. Uh, then once again, uh, you know, he brings that speedy, shifty, twitchy thing from the slot. He goes in motion. He motions out. We we saw so many empty backfields this summer. Um and, you know, he can go deep, he can catch the ball all over the place, and he really catches it so incredibly nicely with his hands. He's got really good, good hands. He's not catching it with his body. He's catching the ball with his hands, and that's what you really want to see from a good wide receiver. So I think that he would be the one that they obviously can least afford to lose, um, and that does put this into, you know, give this a little bit of an air of uncertainty. Okay. Um I was going to go another direction here, but I, I think I'm going to go this way. Um, so again, I'm saving that name for maybe the next the next topic because I'm actually going to go not player here. I think I'm going to go with Kevin Stefanski. And I, I don't, I mean, saying you're the least certain about something certainly has a negative connotation. It, it's not me saying that I don't think Kevin can't do the job. It's just... I don't know, like, I can't say for sure. Like, I, I certainly wouldn't say I'm most certain about him. So I'm going to say I'm the least certain about Kevin Stefanski because we've never seen him with a quarterback like this. We've never seen him sort of adjust his offense like this. I mean, he hasn't been a play caller for that long, really, if, if we think about it. So there's a lot we don't know about Kevin as the play caller. And I think if we went through and listed the people who kind of have the most on the line this season, which might be another podcast at some point, um, Kevin Stefanski is probably on that list. So this is a really big year for him, Mary Kay, I think, to, to really show we've seen him have success with like middle of the road quarterbacks, right? Case Keenum, Baker Mayfield, Jacoby Brissett. He's turned all of those guys into serviceable quarterbacks. Uh, Kirk Cousins is a higher level than those guys, but he's also made Kirk Cousins look good. We've never seen what he can do with an elite quarterback. Is he going to get Deshaun Watson back to where he was, or is this offense just not going to be a good fit for him? 
And I, I don't know. I just don't know the answers to those questions. I think mean, Kevin has a lot of the traits that he can be a good coach. I just don't know. I, I'm really uncertain about what this year looks like for Kevin Stefanski. Yeah, I mean, it really, you know, it, it really is a year that he's he's going to have to show up as an excellent offensive mind because that's what this requires. Uh, it's It's going to be getting the most out of Deshaun Watson and the rest of this offense and maximizing the potential of what should be a high-flying operation. And so he really does have to go out there and prove that. Now, one of the things that we know is going to happen is so much of it is going to now fall uh, onto Deshaun Watson to run the show. And that's a theme that I've been really trying to hammer away at this whole entire offseason is that, you know, he does have the keys to the car and he is driving uh, the bus or the Ferrari or whatever we have him driving, uh, probably some kind of a sports car, um, more so than the bus. But anyways... um, so, yes, I do think that, um, you know, a lot of it will be on Deshaun to prove that he deserves what he's asked for. He's asked for, hey, yes, give me the keys. Let let me run this show. Let me drive this car. And uh, so a lot of it will be up to him. But it's still the Kevin and Deshaun show. It's got to be like the Andy and Patrick show, right? I mean, it's got to be other really good combos that we've seen before working in concert uh, to make this thing go. So I do think that there is plenty of pressure on Kevin Stefanski because now he's got all these thoroughbreds, he's got all these stars, and he's got to be able to prove uh, that he can uh, make all these guys hum along at maximum efficiency. And the reality is, like, even if Deshaun plays poorly and you can maybe point the finger at Deshaun when all is said and done. This is still the guy you gave up three first round draft picks for and paid $230 million. Like he's not going anywhere. So when it comes time time to fix something that might look broken, all the fingers are going to point at the play caller and the head coach. And again, Kevin has had some success. It was also 2020. And that's, that's a while ago now. Ashley, especially in football terms, the football years are like dog years. Like, right. is that is that yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that feels like forever ago at this point. Like, I I do think to me, Kevin Stefanski would be if this were to go really south this year. Like what you're saying, Dan, basically the next obvious scapegoat for the person who would have to go. And, and we talked about this a bit, I think, too, when they first decided to go separate ways with Joe Woods, right? Like last year it was Joe. You felt that tide turning in the middle of the season that the defense was just floundering to a point that they're like, we cannot risk running it back with this guy again next year. Um, And I don't think all of it was on Joe. Obviously you look at how the roster has totally changed and they've filled a lot of the holes. And like, you know, obviously seeing Jim Schwartz's scheme now, it's obviously better, but I think the play caller and how his relationship is with Deshaun Watson when this is all said and done is really key because if Deshaun Watson thinks like, hey, I don't know if this offense is for me, then what are you going to do? It's Kevin's offense. It's why you hired him. So I definitely think like it is a question mark in that respect. And it's not about capability of doing the job. It's like, is this going to be a fit here? And is it going to lead to the results that they kind of expect? Okay, one more category here. We're going to take a break before we do it, and we're going to come back and throw out the things we're most curious about heading into September 10th. 
I'm back one more time on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, the things we are most curious about. Hey, it's worked so far. So Mary Kay, lead us. This is like a baseball lineup. We, we got our leadoff hitter. We got our number two. We got our number three. So let's not mess with it. Mary Kay, lead us off. What are you most curious about here this season? You guys are too kind to let me go first again. You're making this too easy for me. Um, but in addition to the person that I'm going to say or the situation I'm going to say, I have come up with several honorable mentions that we should talk about later after we're done, uh, because I think there are a lot of really cool things in this category. Um, but I'm just going to take the obvious one. I'm going to take the one that we've already talked about a little bit, so we might not have to spend a ton of time on it. But just like probably everybody else in Brownstown, I'm most curious about, can Deshaun Watson become the Deshaun Watson of old? Is he still the three-time Pro Bowl quarterback that he was when he was with Houston. Is he still one of the best in the NFL? Is he still elite? Is he absolutely 100% worth three first round picks and $230 million? And can he take this team to the promised land? That's what I'm wondering. So you mentioned the honorable mentions, and I can tell you that I kicked around the idea of saying for most certain that I was, I'm most certain that Deshaun Watson is going to not be the quarterback he was in the last six games last year, that that's not the Deshaun we're going to see again. I was also thinking I'm the least certain that Deshaun Watson is going to be 2020 Deshaun Watson (laughs) again. So I think this is the right place for him, Ashley. Like, we don't really know what he's going to look like. Again, I I would be shocked if he looks like he did in the last six games for like the all season long. But like, I don't know if he's that guy he was in Houston ever again. I have no idea what this looks like. So yeah, let's, I guess let's find out. That's, that's the point we've reached. Yeah. I really do think this was the perfect category for the bigger picture Deshaun Watson question because it is, A mystery. And I'm with you, Dan. Like, I don't think those six games were emblematic of how he is as a quarterback today in the year 2023, however many years in he is. Um, But, you know, I think about a lot when we first talked to Jordan Aikens when he first came here and he was with the Texans during that that game last year. You know, he'd been with the Texans for, I think, his whole career um, with Deshaun. But I think like he talked about going, talking to Deshaun after that game and being like, that wasn't you like flat out. He's a guy who played with him um, and had success playing with him in Texas. And he told him like, I don't think that was who you are. And I think a lot of people that, you know, were familiar with Deshaun or played with Deshaun in Houston have kind of had similar feelings. I think Deshaun has had similar feelings, but we talked about it. Football is like dog years. 2020 is a long time ago. And that's basically the last time he had a full season under his belt. So it is a legitimate question mark. I think it is kind of a mystery. And until you're going out there, teams are game planning for you. It's really hard to just get the full picture of how it's going to look. And I think it's impossible to know, Mary Kay, if he's going to be like up to NFL speed right away again or not, because he just hasn't, you know, he's, he experienced a little taste of it last year, but the preseason isn't the same. Training camp's not the same. None of that stuff is the same. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, 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 Yeah, you nailed it. This is the right spot for him. I almost threw him in some other categories, but I think I think we've got him in the right category here. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, I, I think the thing... Uh, that makes me believe that perhaps things will be different is the fact that, you know, they really 
broke down those last six games of Deshaun Watson and what they had him doing and how they had him doing it. And, um, you know, they pulled it apart and they put it back together in such a way that it was going to be conducive to making him look good. The whole entire offseason was like the Deshaun Watson project. How can we get him uh, to maximize his skill set and his ability? And he was very vocal with them about what he wanted to do. He wasn't in charge of running the show last year. He didn't have the autonomy at the line of scrimmage um, or before the snap or all of those things that he wanted to do. And he's ready for that. He has the football acumen to do that. He's got, you know, he's got the field vision to be able to do that, you know, to change the motion, to change the play, to audibleize, to slide the protection, to, to decide who gets the ball on an RPO. I mean, he can do all that to run the no huddle, to do the up tempo kinds of things. You know, he's asked for all of this responsibility. He's gotten it. And that's why I think it has a good chance. All right, Ashley, what do you have for this one? So I think this might sound kind of funny at first because, like, Dan, I did totally agree with your point that the defense is going to be better. But I think, like, it's almost this more nuanced, I think, take that I kind of started exploring as I'm doing this preview stuff. I mean, I think the biggest question mark for me is how effective is this defense going to be, especially early, when the Browns do not really have the luxury of an easy ramp-up? They have those three division games in their first four. And I think anytime you put a new defensive system in, it's fair to kind of expect there to be some hiccups once actual games start happening, because we haven't really seen what exactly this defense is going to look like yet, because you're not really game planning for each other to give too much away in the preseason. So I think that is an interesting, I guess, part of all of this, even though I think the roster is better and this Jim Short scheme uh, should be better than what they were playing in last year. I think there's no ramp-up period left. Um, It's only a fraction of what we've seen this look like. And I think, too, there has to be someone besides Miles Garrett who really makes a jump in the front of that defense. Because the problem last year was there wasn't anybody else who was able to really get to quarterbacks consistently. And Miles was on an island, and it became very easy to double-team him. So I think, obviously, Zadarius Smith seems like a better partner for him, but I think he has to stay healthy. I think there there just has to be more happening that's not just solely Miles Garrett. And I think they can't afford many hiccups. And I'm, I'm curious to see how quickly this comes along in actual games. Yeah, so, so this is sort of the, this is where it could be a repeat of last year, right, Mary Kay? Like the communication, the scheme, do you guys understand everything about what they're supposed to do in the back end of that defense and where they're supposed to be and who's responsible for what. And that was an issue all season long last year, but especially at the beginning. So um, if there is a slow ramp up for this defense, then that's when you, (laughs) I mean, I hate to say that's when you're looking at like one and three or whatever, two and four or whatever that record could be after four or six games. and, And you're starting to get a little nervous about things. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm still, I mean, there's a reason I made that my most confident thing, the thing I'm most certain about. I really do believe this defense is going to hit the ground running because I think that pass rush is just going to be so good off the bat. Um, And they're going to be super healthy to start the year. Um, But I certainly can see the concern that Ashley expresses here as far as like, what if there are some, some hiccups and bumps in the road at the beginning? 
Yeah, it's, it's got to come together quickly, as we've been saying. It, you know, there is no time uh, for a big, fat learning curve. They have to come together as fast as possible. And what we don't even know right now is, will Denzel Ward be able to play in the first game or even in the second game? And that is going to have a huge impact on how the defense functions because other pieces and parts are going to have to be moved around if he can't play. And certainly you don't want to start the season out going against Joe Burrow and his trio of excellent receivers without your number one lockdown corner. So, um, you know, so that's one big question mark. And uh, then one of my honorable mentions is involved with, um, you know, the defensive side of the ball as well. So I, I do think that there's, you know, there's a lot of merit to wondering about this whole thing. Okay. You guys are going to laugh at me for this because this is like the, the last name you would think that I would bring up. What's David Njoku going to do this year? Like, Love it, Dan. Could this just be like, <laughs> if ever there was a year, and Ashley, here's the here's the Twitter joke, right? Year seven of David Njoku. But honestly, like if ever there's going to be a year that David Njoku breaks out, everything is like pointing to this direction. Best quarterback he's ever played with. Deshaun seems to love the guy. Kevin loves the guy. Um, he's going to be on the field a lot. He's going to get a ton of targets. Like this, this is David Njoku's moment right here. And so I, that's, that's mine. I'm just curious. Like, I don't know, maybe I'll take over the, uh, the Mary Kay Cabot eight touchdowns for David Njoku prediction here. I just, this could be it not to completely buy into the joke, but this, Maybe this really is it. Maybe this is really is the David Njoku year we've all been waiting for. And I'm just curious about if it's going to happen because every everything is pointing to, including the camp he had and the you know the preseason he had, including that touchdown against Kansas City. There's just big flashing arrows, Mary Kay, especially for people who play fantasy football. David Njoku, this could be the year. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I'm on the hot seat with this one this year because I can't hide from from this uh, prediction. It's always been uh, that if he had the right quarterback to get him the ball in the red zone and the end zone, that he's capable of eight touchdown catches in a season. And I've gotten a lot of pushback on that. Um, no names, but I have gotten some pushback on that. And... Um, and now it's time. It's time to put up or shut up. It's David Njoku time. Uh, there are no excuses. He should be able to uh, go out there and do that. That's why you pay him the amount of money that you're paying him. And if you want to consider him to be just a rung below the, you know, a couple rungs below probably, the Travis Kelsey's, the George Kittles, uh, and, and that group of tight ends, then that's where the bar is set. The bar needs to be set at like eight touchdown catches. I think he's capable of it. I think he should do it. Um, and as you said, Dan, the signs are there that it could actually happen this year. And so you said something there, Mary Kay, that I've been thinking about a little bit, like for he's, he's on this list. Like there's a lot of guys, you know, we talked about Kevin too. Um, and, and there's other players there's just a lot of guys that the excuses are out this year. Like you, you've got the quarterback, you've got the, like everything's in place. So the excuses are out. And so I, I feel like David's kind of on that list. So Ashley, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe you're, 
Maybe. seven? What is, is it your seven or your eight? Your seven. Yeah. Right? Your maybe seven. your seven is the year. Yeah, I mean, and we always bring it up with David, but, like, he is still only 27, you know, even though it is about to be year seven. So time has always kind of been on his side in that regard, but I do think, like, it's it's put up or shut up time for him with in terms of his career and in terms of the production they need from him. And, and it's time to prove that he can be, you know, a couple of those rungs below some of those top guys in the league because he's being paid what he's being paid and they have all the confidence in the world in him. But I think, yeah, this is far and away the best quarterback he's had throwing him the ball. So I think you look at how often he was open this preseason and, and what he looked like and some of the catches he made, all the signs are there, but you know, I, I guess too, the caveat is, well, David always looks pretty good in camp. So again, it's like, that doesn't necessarily tell us anything in my eyes. I think we have to see what that game production is going to look like. Okay, so we've mentioned it. Let's throw out some honorable mentions. It can be for any category, Mary Kay. You said you had a defensive one for most curious. So what was that? I actually have two defensive ones um, for most curious. Uh, number one, what is JOK going to look like in this defense? I keep hearing uh, that he is perfectly suited to this Jim Schwartz defense. He's been injured. He's coming off of a Liz Frank foot injury tough to come back from that, but we know that JOK has magical healing powers and has worked really, really hard to come back strong from from this potentially serious foot injury. Uh, But I'm just very curious to see what he can do in this defense. I'm I'm really looking forward to that because when they drafted him, they felt that they were getting a first-round talent. And for one reason or another, um, mostly because of injuries and, and other things. He really has not uh, been able to show exactly what he is yet. And uh, I wonder if this is the year that he can do that. So that that's number one. You guys want to address that, and then I'll tell you my my other one. Yeah, I mean, JOK is, is one of the fascinating stories this year in this defense um, and, and what he can do. Um, like it's a little bit like a smaller version of David Ajoku, right? Like, okay, now it's your three to JOK. Let's see. Let's see if he reaches that potential. And the the other one that I had real quick here is, um, you know, I, I really do wonder about Z and, and Oboe as the number two and number three pass rusher. Um, they had sort of differing seasons last year. Z started out really, really strong. And, and then uh, he tapered off. He, he had a knee injury and he wasn't able to be himself in the final nine games of the season or so. And he had like a half a sack in the final nine games. So I would think that the Browns are getting the healthy version of Z that just tore it up in the first half of last season. He feels that's who he's going to be. Um, But I'm interested to see how that works out. And then Oboe, you know, his final six games of the season when he had five sacks were the first time, uh, you know, that he played as a, you know, as a down lineman and he, Uh, as a defensive end. And he feels like that is, you know, that is what he's suited to do. And they think that's what he's best suited to do and that he will build on what he did in those final six games. I'm very curious to see uh, if that's the case because he's never had that many sacks before in a season. And, uh, and not only in a season, but in that small compressed timeframe. So can he take that, and transfer it over to this year and be like a one sack a game guy or almost that. So very curious about those two guys. 
Yeah, those are good ones. Um, Ashley, I don't know if you, if you want to add anything to those, but also uh, throw out some of your honorable mentions too. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think. I don't know if I, I think I used like honestly all of the ones I was thinking of, Dan. We didn't have much time to think about this ahead of time. So I'm sorry to kind of taper off the conversation here at the end. But yeah, I mean, I think I think we've kind of hit all just about all of the major questions or concerns or things we're confident in that I've felt so far. Yeah, I'm trying like I mean, we didn't talk about Jed. I mean, Jed would be somewhere yeah. in, mm-hmm. in the least certain or curious categories, probably. Um, oh, I had one. I, I'm going to throw this one out there. So just regarding this cap space that the Browns are creating, okay? I think we all sort of know, like, why they're doing it, right? They're, you're, you want to roll it over. You want to have some flexibility moving forward. Paul D. Podesta even said on the on the broadcast against Kansas City that, you know, it, it creates room to maybe make a big move at some point. And that big move could be next spring. Um but there's just a part of me that wonders a little bit, like, could we get to the trade deadline and maybe the right wide receiver is unhappy on a tanking team or a tanking team wants to trade a guy or the right pass rusher or just like, I'm not ruling out that some of this cap space that they're opening up could be in part to make a big move this year. I don't think that's what it is. I do pretty much believe they're just trying to create continue creating flexibility down the road because of how expensive this roster is. But there is just a part of me, Mary Kay, that's like, if this team is really good and, you know, I don't, I can't think of a name off the top of my head, but you know, some receiver, some pass rusher, some cornerback, whoever it is wants out or a team is just trying to trade them because they want to get Caleb Williams. Like, the Browns are in a position where they could give up a little bit of draft capital and take on a big contract. I, I think that's in play. I just, I wouldn't rule that out. So that's, I think I'm putting that as either least certain or most curious. Yeah. You can't rule that out because we know how aggressive Andrew Barry is. And if you're getting to the point where you see there's some big splashy move you can make, they'll definitely make it. He's an aggressive uh, acquirer. I don't know if that's a word. Of players. <laughs> we'll call it a word here. I like it. He, he's aggressive on the player acquisition front. Let's try that. Um, so, um, yes, he he will definitely keep his eyes open for, for anything that can push this team over the top. And they might find out uh, that they're missing something. Or there might be uh, some big injury that they have to try to make up for. So, um, so that's a good one, Dan. There, yeah. And there's just a part of me, too, Ashley, that, like... You know, the the super smart Twitter people who get really condescending about this stuff, like, and make it sound so obvious that, well, this is all about next year. I, yes, I agree with that. But also, man, if this team feels like they're one player away from the Super Bowl, you think they really aren't going to use that cap space this year if if there's a possibility? It's about next year until it's not, right? Baker Mayfield was their quarterback until he wasn't. Deshaun Watson is out of the running to come here until he wasn't. Like, that's just life in the NFL. It is for next year until, like we're saying, somebody gets hurt. They realize they're missing a key piece. Somebody else somewhere in the league who they really like suddenly becomes unhappy. Like, all of this is in play because you just don't know. That's just the nature of the NFL. It's the nature of you know, guys and their individual careers and what they want and tanking and what that can do for you in the league. Like 
there's just too many factors at play to be like, yeah, th- this is definitely what it's for because it's what it's for right now on September 1st. And that's great. But I think with this front office, again, this is the stuff they are so, so good at. It's what Andrew Berry has consistently been good at in his time here. And he's been, his best moves as a GM have been the way he has acquired veteran players, I think. So you can't rule anything out, even though, like, yes, everyone who wants to feel so smart on Twitter, that that is what it's for, but it's what it's for right now. Yeah, and and I don't think they're, like, they're not wrong. And I I know, Mary Kay, you've done reporting on this too. Like, that that is sort of what this is all pointing to, but just you have the money. And if, if that money can help push you over the top, I could see them changing course. That's all. Yeah. No, no, I, I think you're right to point that out because every time we turn around, they're restructuring uh, someone else. I've been calling it their restructure tour. Uh, but a lot of it is, you know, planning for the future and cap management. But they are also poised to make a splash down the road before the trade deadline if they need to. All right. So stay tuned for that trade deadline emergency podcast when the Browns acquire, I don't know, Devontae Adams or something. Um, okay, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Like I said, find us on Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk. Find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com and become a football insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns. We are going into regular season mode next week. So uh, just get subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be back to our, our more normal, I guess it's kind of Sunday night through Friday pods when we get into post-game pods and stuff. So uh, just a more normal schedule that you're used to beginning next week. Uh, Until then, Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to you both later. 